Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. God bless you and thank you for joining us again today and uh, for faithfully watching. I know we're probably stretching you and uh, the information that we're giving is probably to some new information. Uh, yet uh, some of the things we're teaching is taught in some Bible colleges as an alternative view to the book of Revelation. And I believe that the more we see a lot of the dates pass, that some of the well-meaning, I believe, teachers are teaching and it doesn't pan out again, again, and again. And we've seen so many times, at some point, we're going to start questioning and saying, look, that hasn't panned out. You know, there must be another alternative. That's what we're offering, is the fact that we believe that the book of Revelation is not about coming catastrophes. It is about, first of all, the redemption of the Lamb, and it is about the judgment that came upon apostate Israel in 70 A.D. in fulfillment of all that God spoke through the Law and the Prophets. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all that God spoke to the Law and the Prophets, and that he, they have delivered to us a faith that was once delivered to the saints, and we need to contend for that faith. Uh, if we don't realize that, you know, Jesus, when He prophesied Himself in Matthew 24, He said, These things will be great tribulation, such as was not since the world began, or would ever be again. So some people ask me, well, can there be double, triple, and on and on fulfillment? To which I reply, not prophetic fulfillment, because they had their fulfillment historically and physically, and that which is natural has been first. And while I believe there is an ongoing spiritual uh, result to that judgment, that we now live in the new covenant and we see the kingdom expanding. In that part, I see an ongoing relationship and still our future is bright because the kingdom of God is going to be, I believe, like the path of the just that shines more and more under the perfect day. If you missed any of the programs, I uh, go back to YouTube and you can watch them. We have archived all of them there. Also on iTunes, you can get the audio version of it on your podcast, or you can go to our website and get the RSS feed for it. We will ultimately release all of these in both in video and in CD for a sale when we have all of this compiled and completed. It is the most exhaustive piece of work I have ever done on the book of Revelation. And for us personally, a lot of my work in my college uh, degree came from my work on uh, the book of Revelation and the books that we've written and some of the things that we've done in this work. I want to go back to 14. Revelation begin again and try to springboard from this. Uh, verse 1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion with him, 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and I heard the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. They sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth, now remember, they're the first fruits because they're the first fruits because I want to deal with the harvest paradigm again in this segment. They are the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb, which means they are the guarantee that a harvest is about to follow. They are the tithe of the earth. They are the wave of the sheath of first fruit. In their mouth was found no guile. They didn't love lies. They loved the truth. 
for they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another mighty angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. And I showed you last week how I gave you several scriptures where uh, the prophecy that Jesus gave in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness, and then the end will come. I showed you in several places, just a few actually, but there's more than I showed you that in the New Testament where the apostles said the gospel has been preached to every creature under heaven. So the end is not in our future. The end came and was upon that generation. You see, even when the apostle Paul wrote in the book of Corinthians and he said all these things that happened to them happened to them as examples for us upon whom the end of the world, literally the end of the age has come, was talking about those people alive and well when Paul was writing that to the church at Corinth that the end of the age had come. The end of the world is not the end of a global situation. It was the end of an age and that age is not in your future. It is in your past. We are living in a world without end. I think that's powerfully good news. It says, and they, 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 uh, it says, with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of judgment has come. And worship Him that made heaven and earth and sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, the great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in their foreheads, or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. We showed you the fulfillment of that in 1 Thessalonians that says, When he shall come to be glorified in his saints, that it is a righteous thing with God to recompense trouble to them who have troubled you. And he said to rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven, with His mighty angels, taking vengeance on them that know God in flaming fire, and that they would literally be tormented. That's not something in the future. That was God fulfilling His covenant promise to the church at Thessalonica that you who are being persecuted, you're going to see this flaming fire and this vengeance come upon this people in fulfillment of what Jesus said in Luke's gospel, these are the days of vengeance, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by all the prophets. And the smoke of their torment ascends up before God day and night, and they have no rest day or night, which worship the beast in his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat, like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Let me just remind you of some words again of Jesus, who when he came out of the city, he said to them, Lift up your eyes on the fields, where they are ripe already to harvest. Harvest was not somewhere out in the future. Harvest was imminent and upon them right then. For the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which was in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, thrust in that sharp sickle and gathered the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. Now two things I want to show you here. The angels came out of the temple uh, and they were the reapers. Now in Matthew the 13th chapter, Jesus gives a parable. He said, the sower went forth to sow 
and he sowed good seed in the field. But while men slept, an enemy came and sowed tares. They came to him and said, uh, should we take out the tares? To which Jesus replies and says to them, first of all, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The harvest is the end of the world. Literally, it is the end of the age, and the angels are the reapers. That is a almost word-for-word comparison to Revelation 14. The angels are the reapers. And he said what they were going to do was they were going to go first and take out the tares, and then they would bind them in bundles and burn them, but the wheat would be gathered into the barn. You know, it's interesting to me. Let me just say this to you. It is interesting to me that we say things like, I'm packed up, prayed up, getting ready to go up, to which I reply, if you're getting ready to go up or you're getting ready to uh, go, you might be in the wrong bunch because the ones that were taken out in Matthew 13 and in Matthew 24 are not the righteous. They are the wicked. The scripture tells you, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. They were eating, drinking, marrying, giving wives until the day Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and took them all away. The them all that went away was the wicked. In Matthew 13, it was the wicked that were destroyed by the fire and by the being burnt in bundles. They were the children of the wicked one. I submit to you that the fire and the judgments of God that was coming in 70 AD as God was destroying the children of the enemy, Jesus calls them a generation of vipers, you're of your father, the devil, the synagogue of Satan, on and on it goes, uh, that those are the ones that he's taking out and that are being burnt with fire. Uh, I believe it is Proverbs chapter 10 said, The righteous shall never be removed, but the sinner shall not inherit the land. Matthew 5 said, The meek will inherit the earth. Uh, Psalm 37 said, Yet a little while the wicked shall not be. You will diligently consider uh, his place and shall not find it, but the meek shall inherit the earth. In other words, God was destroying the wicked because the earth and the fullness thereof belongs to Jesus. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We win this thing, folks. The children of the wicked one does not. Now, I do believe that there is a fire that continues to burn as God is glorified in his saints and that God is continuing to allow a fire to burn that's going to, I believe, remove all wickedness out of humanity. I believe that this thing's going to keep on until it purifies and purges and his fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor. He will gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff will be burnt with an unquenchable fire. Exact terminology as you see here in Matthew chapter or not Matthew, but Revelation chapter 14. The next thing that happens is there's an angel come with a sharp sickle and he comes to reap uh, he's got power over fire, but he cried with a loud voice, saying to him that had the sharp sickle, thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle in the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the wine, great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trod without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse's bridle, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Now, and let me just go ahead into the next chapter, read a few things so we get this. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, 
over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Now, I'll probably get into that chapter here very shortly. But I first of all wanted to show you that there is somebody that gets the victory over the beast, the number of his name. The book of Revelation does not end with the coming mark of the beast. It shows you that the beast is ultimately destroyed, but there is a people who come forth out of that with the victory over his name, over his image, over the number of his name, and they stand on the sea of glass. Now the first part of this harvest paradigm, of course, spoke concerning the wheat harvest or the corn harvest, if you will, because it had uh, the gathering of grain. Now we're going to talk about how this is dealing with also the grape harvest. Now this to me, uh, the grape harvest is in the last feast in Israel. It is during the Feast of Tabernacles. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Harvest, or the Feast of Ingathering, was also the time of the gathering of wine. And I believe that's really important because in the Feast of Tabernacles was when God instituted, let me see if I can, uh, ver, uh, Deuteronomy the 16th uh, chapter says, verse 13, Thou shalt observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days after that thou hast gathered in thy corn and thy wine. Now see, I think that it's interesting that what happens is, is that they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles as a memorial to remember how God brought them out of Egypt and how they lived in booths or in, if you will, uh, 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 it was like mobile tabernacles or booths when they came up out of the land of Egypt and came into the promised land. Now I showed you in prior segments how that uh, Revelation 11, 8 said our Lord was crucified in the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. So Egypt is directly connected with uh, that old covenant bondage mentality because our Lord was not crucified in natural Egypt. He was crucified in Jerusalem. So what he's saying is in this transition from 30 AD to 70 AD, you dwelt in tents and in temporary dwellings, but now you about to become the tabernacle of God. And the end of the book of Revelation says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. God has made his home with men. The fullness of the Feast of Tabernacles. But it was during the wine harvest or the, the grain harvest. Let me read some things from my notes that makes it a little bit quicker and clearer. I said, this harvest paradigm shows that the first part of this harvest is the burning of the tares of the field, which is fulfilled, Matthew 13, and they gathered out first the tares. The second part of the harvest is the gathering into the barn, the children of the kingdom. Note that there are two harvests here. One is grapes and one is grain. Also note that the word gather is uh, where uh, is taken from Matthew chapter 24, verse 30 through 31, where it says he will gather together his elect it's the Greek word for synagogue there. So when it says he will gather together his elect, this is the gathering that is talked about in Matthew 24 when the Lord would come in the clouds of heaven that he would gather together from the cor four corners his elect. This is simply a harvest. I believe it can be dealing with uh, many who have been the first fruits of them that slept, that were gathered into the great barn of heaven's reception because now the way into the holiest is made. But I also believe it was a gathering uh, of a synagoguing together, not so much in a geographical location as it was the fullness of the Feast of Tabernacles being fulfilled in us where God has now moved in 
uh, into the synagogue that we are. I like how the Message Bible says it in Revelation 21. It says, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He's made His home with men. He's tabernacled Himself within us. So this gathering is a gathering unto Him. It is a gathering not to a geographical Zion, but to a spiritual Zion, which is the new covenant. And it goes on to say uh, that, uh, that uh, I will gather together His elect is the Greek word for synagogue. For the apostates who refused to be synagogued under Christ, they were called the synagogue of Satan in Revelation earlier, those that were not Christ were the synagogue of Satan. They were replaced by the church as the new synagogue. The first churches were simply Christian synagogues. James 2 verse 2, if you want a reference for that. The idea in the scripture uh, below of him having power over fire that came from the altar is a direct connection to the prayer of the martyrs in Revelation chapter 6 verse 9 through 11, when it is their prayers, they're saying, how long till thou dost avenge us? These are once again the days of vengeance spoken of by the gospel of Luke because he's pouring it out now without mixture and a wrath is coming upon them in fulfillment of uh, their prayer. So that fire has come from the altar. Remember, they were under the altar crying, how long, Lord, till thou dost avenge us? They were the martyrs. All these trumpets and all these vows are a direct result. I think it is incredible also to note that the trumpets declare the coming judgment and the chalices are the pouring out of it, but this reaping of the vine of the earth is the filling up of those cups, if you will, of the grapes or the wine of the wrath of God is coming because of what they did to the faithful in Christ, even as I shared already in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I put also in my notes that, uh, that uh, this could also be connected to the Feast of Tabernacles because it's the harvest of both corn and wine. It was to remember of how the Lord brought them out of the land of Egypt. Remember that in Revelation 11, 8, Jerusalem is Egypt. Uh, God was de delivering them from apostate Israel, bringing them into the promised land called rest, or a promised land called Christ. An old tabernacle was being removed, and a new tabernacle was coming on the scene wherein dwelt righteousness. It was uh, in, in Revelation uh, 14, the wine press, again, uh, was trodden without the city, and blood came out to a horse's bridle. But I want to read to you. That, see, these to me are powerful things. I'm giving you the comparisons, and I'm giving you the scriptures, and you can research some of this even on your own time. But Joel chapter 3, verse 11, again, this is talking about um, uh, the armies that would come upon Israel to destroy it. It said, Assemble yourselves and come, all you heathen, and gather yourselves together, Round about, thither cause thy body once to come down, O Lord. He is calling the heathen nations against the apostate Israel. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put you in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, for the press is full, and the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes and the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near, and the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. This is God calling them into the valley uh, for a great slaughter, the valley of slaughter. We're going to see in just a little while, the battle of Armageddon is not in your future. The battle of Armageddon and the battle of the great day of God Almighty was in 70 AD, or from 66 AD to 70 AD, when the blood literally flowed to a horse's bridle, and the pouring out of blood was from one end of Palestine to the other, and it was trampled underfoot uh, like outside the city. God was trampling the wine press 
of the vintage of the wrath of God. God was trampling out the grapes of wrath, and He was bringing them upon them in fulfillment of what He prophesied to Joel. Now remember, when Peter stands up in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, he brings direct connection to the prophecies of Joel and connects them to people in that day. When they're getting filled with the Holy Ghost, Peter gets up, he said, This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, saith God, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will, will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And then he goes on to say, The sun will be darkened, the moon will be turned into blood, and the stars will fall from heaven. Now, I've already shared about the sun, moon, and stars in past uh, days, so I'm not going to get into it. But the sun, the moon, and the stars is not talking about some future blood moon or any other thing. It was talking about, Peter said, this is that. This is the fulfillment of what Joel said. That is coming. It was fulfilled. Not my words. That's what Peter said. He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, because the sun, the moon, and the stars, again, were spiritual symbols of natural Israel. Remember Joseph's dream. Joseph saw the sun, the moon, and the stars bow down to him, and his father Israel knew that that was symbols of him and his mother and the twelve tribes. Because he said, how shall I and thy mother and thy brother bow down to you? This was the paradigm that's going on here. Isaiah 5, 1 through 7 said, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. He fenced it and gathered it out the stones thereof and planted it in the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. He looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go tell, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. I'm telling you, it was trodden down of the Gentiles, in 70 AD. And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns, and I will also command the clouds that they rain no more upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. You see that? For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold oppression for righteousness. Behold a cry. A cry went out for vengeance and for judgment. The angels reap the vine of the land to produce the substance that's about to be poured out in these chalices of the wrath of God coming in chapters to come. Now, let me also touch this yet with it. It says in Isaiah 63, Wherefore art thou read? In thine apparel. This is Isaiah 63, verse 2. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? Now I could take you to another verse in the book of Revelation that said he had a vesture dipped in blood. This is the Lord Jesus Christ trampling out the vintage of the wrath of God. He said, I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in my anger and trample them in my fury and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiments. This is in direct fulfillment of a vesture dipped in blood of the one who had trampled out the vintage of the grapes of wrath. I will stain all my raiment, for the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. Again, this is a twofold. This is a twofold harvest. One is the days of vengeance, and the other is the year of the redeemed. 
When he says to them, lift up your heads, your redemption draweth nigh. He was talking about it was judgment for one and redemption for the faithful that are with him on Mount Zion. He said, for the believers, uh, the coming chalices of wrath are what we have been redeemed from. So for the believers, the coming judgment is not coming to believers. It's what we've been redeemed from. Jesus drank the cup of suffering for us. I'm going to try all this together as we go on. The wine press was trampled outside the city and Jesus was crucified outside the city. He trampled the wine press and took all the wrath that God has so that he could be the rider on the white horse with ultimate victory over all of his enemies, having a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the word of God. And I looked and there was none to help. I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation unto me and my fury had upheld me. And I will tread down in my anger and make them drunk in my fury. And I will bring down their strength to the earth. Now, here's again, Hebrews, the 13th chapter, verse 11 said, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burnt without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. There you see the redemption coming from his suffering to the believer. But to those who did not receive the redemption of his blood, the judgment is coming. Can you see that it's both twofold? It is the year of the vengeance of God, and it is the year of the redeemed. It is the great and terrible day of the Lord. For the apostates, it was terrible. For the believers, it was the day of the redeemed. And they can now lift up their heads, for their redemption was now drawing nigh. Uh, then he goes on to say in Hebrews 11, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore unto him, without the cap, bearing his reproach. For we have here no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Because the shed blood of Jesus, which they shed outside the city, was never embraced as their redemption. Since they did not go outside the camp to identify him, now their blood has to be shed. As they are cast out and excommunicated from the Jerusalem, which is above, disinherited by their father. This was the fall of Jerusalem. As the next section deals with a tale of two cities, Babylon, which is the apostate Jews, and the marriage of the Lamb, which is the new Jerusalem. This is the great battle of Armageddon, but most think is some in our future. However, it, 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 however, it finds its complete fulfillment in the destruction of Israel and the redemption of those that stand upon the sea of glass. It may be interesting to note as well that, that the 1600 stadia or the equivalent that's measured here is equivalent to about 200 miles. It is slightly more than, than the length of Palestine. The land of Israel is thus represented as overflowing with blood in the coming nationwide judgment. The streams of running blood become a great red sea, reaching to the horse's bridle, connecting this to the overthrow of Pharaoh and his chariots in Exodus chapter number 14. The use of Exodus imagery is used extensively in the following chapter. Uh, Zechariah had foretold of the day when uh, all things throughout the land will be holy and when the land would be filled with pure worshipers and, and holiness to the Lord will be inscribed upon the bells of the horses. We are out of time. Tune in again next week and call that number on the screen if you'd like to sow a seed into the ministry. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.